Hey everybody, welcome to a special New Year's edition of Draft Politics. I'm your host Steve, and here with me as always. It's EJ. Happy New Year, everybody. On this New Year's Eve here in finally snowy Chicago. It's been a warm winter thus far. It's been a little weird. It's like been we had a like a weird. very cold October, like late October, early November. Uh, it's now kind of just slushy crappy outside yeah. but, hey, uh, but you know it's a little snow i think we should take it yeah but Last we can get more into local weather in the local oh, that's podcast. true that's true national For weather national weather been, i assume it's sunny i don't know i mean the sun's out i don't know it seems day. like it was cloudy all year okay good point mm-hmm. and we'll get to how it was all year exactly uh do a little the bit cloud of cloud of impeachment over everybody <laughs> you know i think as a as a podcaster now that i am a podcaster you are um it's true i now have an understanding of why they do year in review specials it's not because they want to review the year it's because there's nothing going on yeah it's true like it's christmas time <laughs> everybody on capitol hill has gone home right presumably to have very nuanced and detailed conversations with their constituents clearly uh the really really decide is it worth impeaching trump or not not based on any sort of political calculations but right purely based just on looking the at the facts evidence, yes. I, I, i'm sure every senator is reading through their briefing book right now reading through all the transcripts from the hearings in the house of course yes why wouldn't they what I, else do they have to do over the holidays nothing okay nothing open presents just that read transcripts that's what i do on my holiday i don't well, know about if you. i were married to one of the senators i would have given them the transcripts as a present what better present right maybe a narration maybe you could Fair hire somebody to send the very best you exactly. know <laughs> exactly an audio book perhaps by lavar burton right. reading the transcripts that would be great that would be great lavar burton if you're listening after you rate us and review us on itunes could you just record some of the conversations via text between Sondland and other people? I think that would be fantastic. Yes. Let's get Patrick Stewart to help him with it, and it'll be like a whole Star Trek thing. That'd be great. I would pay real money for this Oh, thing. yes. Yes, I would. I would pay real money to hear that. I would sign up for CBS All Access to, like, watch this happen. Yeah, not that far. No, I wouldn't go oh, that okay. far. Well, there you go. Okay. We now know our limits. <laughs> we know. Good. Good we settled that. We know our limits. Uh, but it's the end of the year. We're all cleaning up our stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I myself went through all my finances, you know, today, making sure that I didn't have any recurring charges for military aid to foreign countries that I know that's always corruption. a problem for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, you know. Big issue. Didn't have yeah. any articles of impeachment sitting around waiting to be sent out. Right. right? Now, you know. now it does seem that there were some emails that were that were sitting yeah. around that have been uh, cleaned out a little bit. Uh, so we got some new revelations around impeachment. And none of this is really new per se, but it's giving us a little more context right. to what's gone on. It, it's sort of these things that fill in gaps that we already suspected or knew. Right. So... A couple of organizations filed freedom of information requests specifically to the OMB, the the Office of Management and Budget, to get a number of emails released. And what these emails end up showing is a much more detailed timeline and the method by which people were requesting and talking about the hold of funds. So the most interesting one to me was the email that came 90 minutes after that call with Zelensky and Trump that said, like, put it all on hold with no real reason. Just put it all on hold. Right. And then the subsequent emails. Yeah. Go ahead. And I think it's where, you know, like 90 minutes that this email went out. So 
call ends. You have a conversation after the call. You go back to your office. You sit down at your computer and start typing an email. Like, the fastest you could possibly get that email out is probably about 90 minutes. Yeah, no, I mean, and you have to, you have to think that you've been in the Oval Office. You've just been talking to Trump. You have to go scrub your soul for 15 or 20 minutes first. Agreed by the Agreed, child behind yes. us. So that is, a, that is very fast yeah. from a governmental standpoint. Right, for something that's, com- if it was something completely unrelated, but it's not completely unrelated, no. of course, is what no. we're getting at. So because, because the other thing that came out here is how careful they were with language and how they were iterating over language. How do we say this? How do we describe this? How do we send it over to the Pentagon and even counsel people in the Pentagon to say, don't really talk about this. Right. Keep it on the down low. And here's the thing. If... The intention of this is really about corruption, and it is about corruption in Ukraine. That should be all stuff that's fairly above board. You're calling to see that it's getting done. Great. And we are going to withhold this money because we need to make sure that you guys are on the same page with us. That would be a public announcement. That would be very much like letting Zelensky know very publicly, showing to the American people how much you care about corruption, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Instead, they're keeping it weirdly quiet. Well, and that's just it. And it's, you see the discomfort from people in the email chains. Like, I'm not sure that we should do this. Can we do this? I'm not sure that we should do this. Right. And then prompted from that are a number of emails with people trying to figure out what the legal justification should be. Right. So it's like, because like, there I, isn't one. Right. <laughs> so how are we going to invent one? If we kind of connect some dots that exist and do not <coughs> exist then perhaps we can then give people some legal cover. And it's, and I really didn't get the impression that that was for Trump necessarily, but it's for the other people in the administration, yeah. right? So it's for people in the, you know, it's for, it's for people in the, the Pentagon to be able to say, hey, look, I, I know that it may seem weird. However, look at this. Uh, we have this legal justification you know, opinion that we've gotten from, you know, some crazy ass people in the OMB. And that's, uh, again, that's very telling. And I think that this kind of ties into that question of, you know, did the impeachment hearings move too fast? Would it have mattered if this information were uncovered ahead of time? Um, Does it matter that the articles of impeachment haven't been sent over? uh, What do you think about that whole well, I think it's. I think it makes all the sense in the world to withhold them, um, because right now it, it the only leverage that the House has to get a a fair hearing. Now we know everybody's going to vote the way they're going to vote, but yeah. the whole mm-hmm. value of having this hearing is very publicly yep. having the the testimony out there, getting it on TV, getting it you know viral videos, whatever, and and that's the only real value we can get out of the trial itself. So if if McConnell is going to derail that aspect of it, why have the trial at all? And so this puts him, them in a good position where Trump wants this the air cleared and wants to be able to say that he was uh, you know cleared of any charges, even though it's clearly a partisan deal. Um, and so I think it makes sense. The other thing is I'm a little nervous about what we're going to see from some Senate Democrats. Like, are we going to see um, uh, Doug Jones? Is he somebody who's going to vote for impeachment? 
when, you know, when I think that the evidence clearly suggests he should be impeached, but is he concerned about winning re-election? Mm-hmm. You know, and so... Again, remember, he has been impeached. Excuse me, yes. Convicted of impeachment. Right. Convi- is it convicted? It's just convicted. It is. Like, yeah, okay. Yes. yes. Convicted and removed from office. I, I think yes. that is a very interesting question, and I, you know, I would say the counterpoint is that the Trump administration and the, the talking Muppets are saying, well... If they haven't been sent over, then he hasn't officially been impeached, which is wrong. But yes, what do they care? Yeah. <laughs> the, the truth of the matter is, as my child likes to say, irrelevant. Yes. So uh, it is interesting. And being and that it's Republicans, elephant, it all makes perfect sense. Uh, there it is. There and you. I think the other interesting thing here. So, you know, presumably Nancy Pelosi is saying, like, the calculus is there's real no real downside if we can get enough senators so if if we believe that the trial moving closer to the election is viewed as a bad thing capital b capital t by republicans and their strategists yeah then we have leverage to get at least you know five senators republican senators to be willing to vote on certain rules because you only need a majority of the senators to set those rules. Right. So maybe that is allowing, you know, the floor managers from each party to call a certain number of witnesses. Um, and that's relevant because this week there was a ruling uh, by a, a, federal, a federal court actually dismissing a case by Charles Kupperman, who was one of the aides to John Bolton. So he had said, I'm not going to comply with this subpoena from the House because the president said I shouldn't. Now, there were two competing lawsuits. The other one was already resolved at the federal level. And the judge says, actually, you have to comply with these subpoenas. This one hadn't been ruled on. The Democrats pulled their subpoena back and then said, we should dismiss this case because it's moot. Yeah. And the federal judge, who was appointed by George W. Bush, uh, Judge Richard Leon, for what, it w- what it's worth, agreed that case has been removed. Now, that means the standing precedent for somebody like a Lorax of doom, John Bolton, to testify is the case that was ruled on to say you have to, you have to, uh, you have to respond to these subpoenas. Yeah. So... That's a, that's a reasonably big deal. You know, I think John Bolton actually wants to testify. I think he wants to get up there. I, I think he doesn't like the fact that he's looked like an idiot because he worked for an idiot. Yeah, I don't know where he kind of sits on this. Like, I feel like on the one hand, there's a certain ego thing and him wanting to do that and per- be per- being perfectly willing to sort of burn those bridges. But, you know, he's... He's a, he's a Republican. He's part of that whole system. And, like, what does his future look like if he very much undermines Trump in a public way? Uh, so what does it look like either way? I you know, don't is know. he going to get a job in another administration? Uh, there is, there no, is no, no, no. He'll get a job admini- on Fox News. Again, they're post-truth I mean, the thing, anyway. Like, so, <laughs> I, I mean, you, I look <laughs> at it and say— There's always a place for them to land. <laughs> I, I mean, he doesn't have— I don't think his prospects change appreciably for the next yeah 
eight to 12 years regardless, and he's already in his 70s, so... Oh, I suppose that's true. You know, Maybe he'll just retire from being evil. I mean, what else has he got to do? He, right. He can write some books, right? Yeah. I mean... I mean, I, I gather evil's got a pretty good pension, so yeah, you know, that's good for him. Mustache grooming benefits for yes, the rest yes, of his exactly. life. So it, it's, a, it's an interesting situation. I think none of us anticipated that Nancy Pelosi would hold those back. And, and I guess there is this question of whether or not uh, she has leverage. I hope that she does. I think she does only because Trump wants this done. Like, he doesn't want to have this run well into the reelection process of having it be Trump has been impeached. Like, that's the storyline now is Trump has been impeached. Once it goes through the Senate, the storyline becomes Trump has been acquitted. So it is to it. So they do have a bit of pressure they can apply to the Senate to try to get this hearing to be something valuable. I think in the end, it's the, it's not going to matter a whole lot because this that trial, no matter how fair it is is going to be just like what we saw in the house where it's like republicans are just trying to get their talking points out democrats are trying to get you know present the evidence and they're sort of working in two different worlds yeah maybe but you know we'll see there's always susan collins we'll Uh, know in 2020 we will know which happens tomorrow or actually probably today today, or maybe even yesterday but someplace that's on fire it's already 2020 yes so uh, so the next segment uh, I have merely labeled in our show notes as uh-oh. <laughs> Which <laughs> There's a bunch I love. of foreign policy things that all seem to sort of connect together a little bit. So um, today uh, there was reporting that protesters uh, have actually broken into the U.S. embassy in Iraq. And um, I, I recall that that embassy is one of the largest in the world, if not the largest in the world. And it's like got sort of like all kinds of like layers of security so yeah, i think by probably area. the broken into part is probably not that big a deal and the, there's like a more central part that's being sort of actively protected by the security teams there yeah that's what i read as well so it was like the first line of defense and there was like a reception area they got to and iraqi forces kind of turned people back yeah um though the u.s has now sent some marines and some other folks in to reinforce yes, yes. on a couple of choppers yeah, because we like uh, choppers at embassies in the Middle East. <laughs> we, do. Uh, we do. Yeah, so um, uh, what precipitated this was apparently a U.S. contractor was killed by uh, a militia in Iraq. I don't know how true any of that is. This is all coming from Trump White House reporting, so it may be total BS. Yeah. Which means um, it probably came from Eric Prince. Right. I'm going to tie all that together in a moment. Oh, yeah. Uh, the U.S. then proceeded to bomb... Uh, those militias uh, killing several people. Um, those are Iraqi militias, though. They are not. Um, they're not from Iran. No. Nominally, they are backed by Iran, but so is much of the Iraqi government. So yeah, hard to say is. there. So yeah. So the protesters are broken in. Um, you know. So this is still unfolding right now. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, it's obviously you know later in the evening there at this point. So I'm guessing not much more is happening tonight, but. Something to follow early into next yeah. year. Um, so, so an interesting thing. Yeah. So you made the joke about helicopters at embassies. Yes. Do you know where the ladder is that was on the, the embassy in Vietnam? I do not. It is in the Frederick Meyer Garden, which is on the west side of Michigan. It's outside of Grand Rapids. Huh. That would be an interesting historic item to see. It is. I've seen it. It's, it is interesting. It's just a ladder. but It's just a ladder. Is it a nice ladder? 
as nice a ladder as you could expect from Southeast Asia in the 70s, I guess. Okay. Like, if you were going to be escaping for your life, would you want to climb up that ladder? Uh, any ladder that holds me. Okay. Well, there you go. So do you know what other family is from that same area? The DeVos family. I was just going to say the DeVosses. <laughs> and who's married into the DeVos family? Eric Prince. There it is. All right. Full circle. There's your coincidence. I think not. The ladder conspiracy. You heard it here first, everybody. Exactly. Exactly. I, hey, not just the right wing can have conspiracies. We can have conspiracies, too. That's true. And they it's involve all about Amway. ladder in Michigan. So. Every time you buy a roll of toilet paper, you're destroying our schools. So anyway. <laughs> so the other things in that sort of uh-oh bucket. So China, Russia, and Iran having joint naval exercises. Yes. Which I looked at and I was like. I honestly thought it was an Onion article nope. at first. Nope, no, this is not, not a good the Onion, onion article. Uh, like, there's not really much to say about it. It may not mean anything really, but it's like that shows a level of engagement amongst those three powers that's a little disconcerting given the way everything's played out the last few years. It does. And to follow up on the disconcerting, North Korea looking to test some more ICBMs. Yes, and these were ICBMs that were explicitly supposed to be shut down as part of Trump's engagement with North Korea. Um, sure. Yeah, and uh, there was also supposed to be like a, a Christmas gift from North Korea, something like that basically like North Korea was supposed to do something that would have been like nice and that didn't apparently happen. I don't know what the heck's going I, on. I it's know. all super weird. Like, it's like, because Trump's Is it like, weird? yes, because like, you've got like Trump, the narcissist negotiating with Kim Jong-un, the narcissist. And then like, they've got all kinds of just weird things happening. Yeah. I mean, when I did, I did see that thing that said, oh, a Christmas gift. And I was like, well, this can't go well for anybody. Yeah. There's not a single person on the planet who wants this to happen. Yeah. Not a single, n neither of them, none of us. Speaking of the onion, I did see a, an article from the onion that said onion shutting down due to the fact that we can't make up anything crazier than is actually happening. Yes. <laughs> so very, very true. And I know some of those guys, and they, they do a lot of drugs. And so they can't even make stuff up crazy is what's happening. Yeah. Which is kind of a good lead into the year in review. Although, before we get to that, I have, I'm going to divert from our Ooh. show outline here to real quick talk about something I, I experienced. Uh because I was thinking about conspiracy theories, and that's what got oh, me yeah. here. So is this your Christmas conspiracy theory? This is my theories? Christmas conspiracy theory. So uh, I'm not going to get into the, the nitty-gritty details of this, but met somebody over the holiday break um, and was... They were clearly a, a right-wing-leaning person. A friend of a friend, right. friend of a friend. And uh, they were talking politics. I'm like, oh, cool. Like, I want to engage in this. I'd like to have these conversations because I enjoy the debate and the discussion and all the that. The witty repartee. Even, you know, and I don't expect to change minds necessarily, but hey, who knows? And so the guy is getting in this conversation and is digging into Hillary Clinton killed the members of SEAL Team 6 who nominally, nominally killed Osama bin Laden. And, like, no real explanation for how any of that unfolded. The suggestion that somehow Osama bin Laden is still alive, I guess. Like, I don't know what any of that would even mean. Like, none of it made sense. And it's like, it reminded me that, you know, some portion of who we're dealing with in our politics is just not a rational actor. They're I, not. Oh, man. 
rational like whatever actor. you're gonna find on and I and in my mind I know this, but it was like seeing it firsthand was a little bit alarming. <laughs> like I thought these people only existed in you know. I thought they only called into on. the Republican line on C-SPAN, but no, it turns out they exist in the real world. No, I, yeah, and I remember you mentioning that and me thinking, I don't know how I would deal with that conversation. Well, and fine. I mean, it was interesting to observe it. Like, I, my, my degree is in sociology. So, like, in sort of like, I'm going to step back and witness these this human doing what the humans do like that was interesting but then like he got kind of ag- aggressive with his language around some of the people in politics and whatever and i'm like okay this isn't like this is stupid now like we're done i'm now outside of that sociologist yeah yeah and i and and my read at that point was the friend of a, my friend who was the friend of the friend like my friend was at that point kind of like a little like this needs to be shut down now like so it wasn't just me shut down in the same way that hillary clinton personally shut down CL Team 6? Exactly. Yes, correct. Now I'm imagining like some very weird like right-wing movie, like a low-budget B-movie with Hillary Clinton like stalking and assassinating all of them slowly. I don't think that's how it's played out. picturing that meme, you know, where she's on her Blackberry at the airport. It's just like... like, That's what she's doing. Like, yep. Execute Order 66. She's got an app for that. She's... Wow. (laughs) I so, mean, I, and and I think here's the thing: all of us who care about this sort of thing have to be prepared to figure out how to deal with those conversations in the next year. Well, I don't. I, honestly, I think the here's the thing: if you enjoy having that conversation, which I did for the first ten minutes of it, for the first two, then beers do it. it. Yeah. But like, don't you're not changing the world there. Like, mm-hmm. and don't waste your energy having those conversations yeah. if those conversations are a drain on you you know and whether it's in person on facebook or whatever like don't engage like go do the work go focus on a campaign something that's actually going to be constructive because that's where this is going to change not in the one e- evening where i've had a few beers and i'm talking to some right-wing kook yeah so you know, I think that is a thing that we will probably explore throughout 2020 is whether where we to want spend to or not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I believe very strongly in the need not only to win, but to win in a way that people don't resent the winning. And there will be people who resent it either well, way. Well, yeah. I mean, and that's the thing is I think it's it's. Like the winning hearts and minds or whatever. Like it's like win the win the ones you can. Like make the efforts, but recognize that there are certain places where you just like they're done. They're not gonna. They're not persuadable. They're in their rabbit hole. Leave them be there. Work around them. Yeah. So. Uh, yeah. <sighs> so yes. let's talk about the year. Rolling again. <clears throat> so it's been a long year. Yes, it has. Uh, this has been an, an exceptionally drawn-out orbit, I think. Yeah. And it's funny because like, I was going back to try to like find like things we could talk about for the year in review and trying to re- like, remember like when all this stuff happened. And like I barely scratched the surface on any of this, but like it almost feels like the Mueller report was like last year, but yet, no, that was this year. Like, <laughs> I mean, and I can remember, and, and this is the kind of dichotomy, right? So I... It's election year. 
Yeah. I remember in 2016 thinking there's no way we're going to get through to the next election. Oh, yeah. We clearly are. You know what? That underestimates the... <laughs> we probably are. But 2019, because so many things from the previous three years kind of came together this year, um, has felt very difficult. And maybe the other thing is that we've been doing this most of the year. And so having these conversations every week and thinking about it and thinking about it not just in the sort of I see a headline in Facebook and I have an yeah. emotional reaction, but actually having to say, I'm going to pause and I'm going to read that and I'm going to understand it. And then I'm going to look at a different perspective from it has made the involvement in it a little deeper for me this year. And right. so it has feel it's felt like it's been stretched out a little bit. Well, and I also think like because every week we are trying to have something that's at least a little novel, like because we, you know, we could just yeah. talk about the same three talking points about the impeachment. It'd be kind of a boring podcast. I'd be bored. I mean, granted, I have beer, so that'd be fine. But yeah, I'd exactly. work through it. Um, and I think it's like it's good to step back a little bit. And I, I feel like we're watching a storyline play out over the course of two years, basically. We're looking at, and, and you could draw it out to four if you want, but, you know, Trump got elected, and the storyline we've seen playing out now is from the 2018 election through the 2020 election. Yep. It is a bunch of people who are against Trump, angry at that, going out, getting Democrats elected into the House, um, and getting a majority there, which then leads to the investigations having some meaning to them. Uh, to the whistleblower who would never have happened if there had been a Republican Congress um, or a Republican House, excuse me. Um, so impeachment, all of that would not have happened were it not for the election in 2018. And so now we sort of reached this. It's not quite a midpoint, technically speaking, but like I think conceptually there's a midpoint here. Where it's like, OK, we've we've made that change. Now the president is impeached. Yeah. Now we move into the primaries. We move into seeing who's going to be up against Trump and then on into the election in 2020. And so week to week, you know, you, you know, you lose the forest for the trees. Um, and I think it's like, you know, so um, and I think if you like didn't if you listen to the podcast once every three months, first of all, rate us on iTunes. Second of all, the change is not that dramatic. But it feels day-to-day -day like it's just yeah. crap going on all the time. So much going on. I mean, I've talked to people who have been, you know, they're like, oh, I went on vacation for two and a half weeks, and I was completely unplugged. And I got back, and I was like, oh, yeah. And even you, when you went on your honeymoon, you're like, uh, right, so there's been some news. There's been some detail, but... Yeah, I the missed the whole Sharpie thing. gate thing, so that was, a sh that was right, sad. And that was one of the more fun things. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, that was like one of the highlights. Yes. Sharpie um, gate happened this year, everybody. So so we had the Mueller report come out finally, which was a an emotional roller coaster between reading the detail and realizing nobody was going to read the detail. And Mueller coming out with his public statement, essentially saying, I'm not going to say anything else. And then going in front of Congress and looking not convincing, you know, and I think everybody thought. At that point, okay, we're going to move to impeachment hearings. And Nancy Pelosi's like, I didn't convince enough people I'm not going to do it. 
Yeah. And everybody, I don't want to say everybody, but lots of people, and this is going to go into some of our, you know, left versus center of the Democratic Party, but lots of people said, hey, look, Nancy Pelosi is terrible because she's not opening these investigations. Um, and I remember at the time reading stories about people who said, like, they had terminal diseases and they just wanted to live long enough to see the Mueller report. And then you get it, and it says things like, if we did not find sufficient evidence to exonerate the president from criminal activities, we would have not unre-said so. And you're like, yeah, what does that mean? Um, and I think a lot of people... Well, it was just the right amount of language to give everybody the ability to take a win without there being a win. Right, right, right. Um, and then that rolled into, as you said, the, the things with the, with the whistleblower in Ukraine. And that storyline has been crazy. Well, it has been, it's well, been it's hard, to, hard to parse and hard to, to be objective about because there are so many things in there that require subjectivity. Yeah. And well, and, it, and it's interesting, like, with impeachment, it's like, it, there, was a, there was a very real possibility that, you know, they take impeachment off the table because they don't feel like the Mueller report delivered enough there that they felt like they could really run with it. And impeachment could have never happened. But at the same time, the nature of Trump and the nature of what he's been doing, it almost guaranteed that something else was going to come up. Because it's the same pattern repeated over and over again. It is, I will cheat to win the election. I won the election. My election was bigger than you thought it was. I really won. I won. I won. I need to win the next one. I mean, it's like this, this, that, that narcissistic paranoia about all of this stuff yeah. was going to lead him to do basically what, what has happened. And my only hope is that Biden doesn't end up being the nominee, so it's extra hilarious that he screwed this up. <laughs> we'll get to that. Yeah. Uh, but it is. Yeah. You know, I, I, I see these things, you know, as you do in terms of one big narrative. And I see the way that people apply their filters to them in terms of the, you know, some people look at it and say, this is a person that cares about himself. First and foremost. Yes. His children. Nearly exclusively. Like, I think Ivanka is, like, maybe the one exception. Right. If it weren't for his children, it would be exclusively. Yeah. No, just and Ivanka. The rest of his kids, I don't think he cares about. Uh, what? Eric, what? <laughs> so, but then you've got people who also look at and say, we believe this person is the Messiah. And people who shared the Trump as Jesus meme. Which, you know, I think, though, for it, I think that number of people, while prominently featured on Twitter because it's, like, weird. Shut up. Twitter's life. It's just like, right. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know, 2% of the public is like, Trump Jesus. Like, no, no, no. Like, and we've seen that even in, like, the last couple of weeks of, like, mm -hmm. some blowback against Trump with, you know, some evangelicals coming out against what he's done. With, and uh, Christianity Today. Was Christianity, that Yes. That sounds plausibly like its name. Well, I don't it was, remember. It was a magazine yes. founded by Billy Graham. Yeah. So it's not like a, you know, socialist rag. It's... <laughs> well, according to Donald Trump, they are now. Well, yes, of course. Of course, he said, I'm not going to read E.T. anymore. Right. 
So, yeah. on brand. Right. Anyway, <laughs> so all of that has taken up a lot of just air, right? And, you know, we've, we've missed some of the things around, you know, how many, how many bills have died in the Senate. I do like the McConnell graveyard thing. I think that that is a very funny and possibly effective you know, effective thing to be pushing. Yeah. Um, and we'll talk about Mitch McConnell and his fight uh, pretty soon. But, you know, you also look at sort of the changing face of the Republican Party. I mean, how uh, we've seen f- 15 people in the House retire. And that's never a good sign. Yeah. Right? Like you never, and we said this before, you never retire when you think you have a chance to win. Like seven or eight in Texas alone. Um, like Will Hurd. Yeah. Draft Politics. Official Chicago Politics podcast of Will, of Will Hurd. <laughs> Allegedly. Shout out to our Will Hurd correspondent. <laughs> exactly. Who I met at the yes. last debate. Yes, you did. So, you know, that's also a big deal. And I think if you get below the easy to cover things from the media about Trump being Trump, you see this change in a group of people who, you know, have started, I guess the change has been coming since 2012, but, you know, these people who in the Republican Party felt like they were moderating forces or, you know, sort of in that Reagan vein or the, you know, caricature of a Reagan vein are leaving. Mm -hmm. And... You don't know why. You don't know if it's because they don't feel like they can defend anymore, if they're just tired. I would be tired. Yeah, I mean, a lot of it a lot of it reads to me as don't want to go down with the ship. Yeah. Yeah, and it's... That's a, that's a very big thing. And I, I would say, for me, Representative Hunter being indicted and finally released, that was one of my highlights. Oh, yeah. I mean, Duncan Hunter... First of all, has the name of a you know seventeen-year-old hockey player from Minnesota, but Duncan Hunter, <laughs> Captain Vape. If you remember, he was vaping during a, a you know a, a, a hearing. Um, I mean, that is a guy who kind of represents all of the douchebaggery of the Republican oh, yeah. Party. Here's a guy that was like he served in the military, which I can respect. You know, used that to get elected. Was Zeno and Islamophobic in his re-election bid. Um, between he and his wife, they used over $300,000 of campaign money to do things like take trips and buy stuff and cheat on his wife. I mean, it was all of those things. Yeah. And he's kind of gone. And if you were to go back to, like, 1990s Republicans, it would be, you know, they would be saying, you know, oh, this person lacks moral compass. They, they have no values or whatever, uh, you know. Because they would nominally be a Democrat, but, you know, that's not how any of that ever worked. And somehow they never apply the language to themselves. So So what were your, what do you think your best predictions of 2019? Because we did a lot of this speculating. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, my best prediction was uh, uh, Biden offering to do push-ups to prove his manhood. absolutely. Uh, I was going to put that in the notes, but I was going to see if we agree. This is like the newlywed game. Right? The newly newly caster game. Yes, yes. Yeah. I don't think, I mean, mean, you know, I made other predictions, I suppose. I think that was the most entertaining one. (laughs) 
<laughs> it was. And it was the one I think nobody saw coming, but there it was. Yeah. And he's still winning. It's Saturday Night Live, still using it as a joke. Oh, yeah. So, Saturday Night Live, Lauren Michaels, if you're watching. Rate us on iTunes. Rate us on iTunes. Yes, exactly. Uh, I don't know that I had any really great predictions in 2019. Um, you know, I did, I did sort of posit some of the, you know, some of the ways that the establishment would react to subpoenas, but I don't know that I had anything near as good as the push-ups. Well, and I feel like, you know, I think there were some pleasant surprises. Like I honestly, after the Mueller report dropped and the, um, and it was clear that, that, Pelosi did not feel comfortable pushing for impeachment on just the obstruction aspects of it. Um, like, it did not look like impeachment was going to happen. And if you'd asked me back before yeah. all this Ukraine... So if you asked me back in July of 2019 when that phone call was happening, yeah, I would not have predicted that, that we were going to have impeachment. Yeah, 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 fair. And, you know, and, you know, and now we're here. I mean, and now he's been impeached. Now, I'm saying at this point, I would predict that he's not going to be convicted. You know, maybe, you've been maybe wrong I'll before. be wrong again. Yeah, yeah. I would love to be wrong. I, I, I will say my worst prediction this year was that I was like, Bill Barr could be okay. I did the same thing. <laughs> I did the like, same thing. I'm like, he was God. like a George H.W. Bush guy. Like, he's not like, how bad could he be? Like, you know, he hasn't even worse. really been in politics. Oh, no, he's like... He's the fascist justification guy. Like, okay, cool. Glad we glad we got that guy in there. I mean, and and right now, uh, you know, it's going to be a couple weeks from now. Maybe somebody's going to be listening to the podcast. I'm like, I listen to these guys all year. Maybe we should give them break. I think they deserve some publicity. I think they're doing really. Oh yeah, they said that thing about Bill Barr. Yeah, he's no, going to be okay. Yeah, <laughs> flush them. Flu- rate them on iTunes and but then you know, flush them. The the beauty of of punditry, which I think is technically our our hobby here yes. uh, is that if you make a bold and crazy prediction and you get it right, you look like a genius. Mm-hmm. If you make a bold and crazy prediction and you get it wrong, most times nobody notices. <laughs> but we want to revisit those because we appreciate transparency. Because we like to keep ourselves honest. Yeah. Uh, you know, if, if you go back and you listen to this and you're like, you guys said this about that and you were totally wrong, tell us about it. Yeah. We, we'd be curious to I'd hear love it. to know all my mistakes. Yes. Yeah, and actually, you know, I, a mistake I know I made was uh, on the whole Will Hurd thing. And, like, my my analysis of him was clearly a little too narrow. And hence our uh, Will Hurd co- correspondent corrected me on the record. So She did. She, she did. did. So, it was yeah. a good correction. It was yeah. a solid correction. So, we're in, going into 2020. Uh, as of our recording today, you know, we're mere hours away from 2020. The next decade Unless you're into that whole, you know, anal 2021 thing. Yeah, yeah. Stop overthinking it. It's the next decade. Uh, So next decade. Well, let's not make predictions for the decade because that's just on another planet. Uh, (laughs) Do you think we'll have fascism or not? Um, But let's go to 2020. Let's just go to 2020. Eyes go wide. Yes. Uh, Okay. Question for you. Do you think that Trump will be convicted? Thank you for the softball. No, yes. There's zero no. chance of no. that. And I agree. Now, a little more nuanced if, version if of that. If he shoots Mitch McConnell on Fifth Avenue, that's... Honestly, I might reelect him if he does. 
That would be a, t- that would be a tough That's one. That would definitely be the... Uh, anyhow. You know, the- uh, okay, so a little more nuanced version of that question. Um, do you think that there will be Republicans who vote to convict Trump in the Senate? And then the related question, do you think there are Democrats who will vote to not convict Trump in the Senate? And this all assumes we have a trial in the first place, which, of course, is still a little up there. Well, yeah, I think every Democrat votes to convict. 100%. Okay. 100%. um, Given current information, he says, with a big caveat. I think Susan Collins votes to convict. Every other Republican votes to acquit. Or, Or I think there are three Republicans who may vote... Gabbert. Present. Interesting. Okay. I think that all the Republicans will vote to acquit Trump. Uh-huh. Because basically the, the one... Because the problem that they run into is if they're the one person who d- doesn't do that, yeah. Trump is going to just savage them. And none of them, and that's basically why the House was so unified, is the same thing. It's like nobody wants to be the one person standing up to them. In order to do that, you have to leave the party. Yeah, See also Justin, Justin Amash. Amash. Yeah. And possibly like 40 other Republicans who have been like, mm, no. Um, as for the Democrats, I'm a little nervous about uh, a certain senator from West Virginia. Uh, I think they stay together. I, I think there's no downside. I, I Because... Because the level of cynicism is so high for it. Yeah. I will say on the on Manchin, the one thing I could say is he just won re-election. So is what he's going to be running re-election for in another oh, yeah. five years going to be, is this going to be a factor? You know, granted, that will be Trump's third re-election at that point. So maybe it will be a factor, but. <laughs> I, you know. I think, in my mind, all of the people who are not running this year, yeah, they will vote along party lines. Okay. Uh, next prediction. This mm-hmm. one's a hard one, and it's getting a little ahead of ourselves. But who will be the Democratic nominee? <sighs> giant asteroid 2020. Yeah, he presents on his asteroid. t-shirt. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but I don't know. I'm, that's like, a, I'm like, and EJ is undressing now. I don't know what to do with this. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Well, no, it's just a puffy vest. Yes. Staying on brand. <laughs> so, if you're a white guy in a north side Chicago brewery, got to have a puffy vest. So, it's, it's a tough one. It is a really tough one. So, it, there's like who you want to win, and then it's who you there think it is, is going to win. I, you know, I think Bernie Sanders is going to be the nominee. I'm agreeing on that. I mean, I think of it is is like right now he's doing well in the sort of key initial states. Mm -hmm. I think that overall, if you look at the trends, he's been at least slowly trending upward. Warren has been running this campaign of trying to split the difference between Sanders and the more moderate candidates. And, I, and that's a losing strategy for her, from what I can see. Um, I mean, I think it's hard to, like, I mean, she. it's hard for her to win that argument because 
if you're really just like a you're more idealistic and you want like you some of you like you know you can believe what they're saying and all yep. that like Biden's or not Biden uh, Bernie's clearly got that and you know and if you're somebody who's on the other side of it of like I don't trust these more liberal programs and yep. government overreach and da 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 like then Warren's not there either and so she's kind of in this middle ground I mean I've I've long thought she would be the bre- the best president of the bunch. Um, I've been less enthusiastic about her since she sort of stepped away from Medicare you, for all. You are wearing a Warren shirt, though. but I'm still wearing a Warren shirt, so that gives you a sense of where I'm at. But you know, if it comes around to Illinois, well, it will come around to Illinois. But uh, if I on if, March 17th, on March 17th, on St. Patrick's Day, uh, who planned that? I, I'm voting for. Bernie or Warren and you know whichever one needs the votes more at that point and yeah. my guess is it's probably probably Bernie yeah um, I just and again we'll talk judge. about this more in the you know some more analysis okay. there but yeah so one last one for okay. you of the top contenders so mm-hmm. we're talking Biden Buttigieg Warren Sanders maybe Klobuchar but I feel like that's pushing it so just those top four Who's the one you least want to be the candidate? This is not a prediction. This is really yeah, no. just expressing Budapest. your dis- dislike. Yeah, and same here. And it's not even a like-dislike. I just think that um, he's got the hardest case to make. It is a it is a tremendous jump from mayor, quasi-successful mayor of a Midwestern city yeah to a, a highly segregated midwestern city to president of the united yeah. states well and like i think it's he's got there's a, in any particular category you want to go on except for possibly except for military service mm-hmm. there's somebody who's better for those things yeah. like you're talking midwestern appeal like okay fine klobuchar yeah if you're talking about progressive values warren or, Bi- or or bernie everybody but Bloomberg. Um, a lot of the same issues I have with Biden versus uh, versus Buttigieg, like I mean, like they they sort of have similar problems to me as a voter, but like Biden, I feel like at least has credible experience, yeah, and a great and, smile, you know. And then ultimately, you know, I think when it comes to, I, I feel like it's just like I don't really. S- I mean, I think that Buttigieg has a chance because you know he could win Iowa. And that could help boost him to, to go on to win other things. But I think it's going to be a harder, harder thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. And let's talk about that in Circus 2020, because yes. I think yeah, we're getting there's some ourselves. interesting trends there and, and whatnot. I think the one thing that the one storyline that we're we're going to be following as a nerd like I am, like, will the polls be better? Because, and you know, Nate Silver if we were tweeting at him, would get all defensive and say, like, the polls were fine. They said one out of three times or one out of six times Donald Trump would win if the broke votes broke a certain way. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of polling that makes people very hopeful, nervous, whatever. Um, I think people don't have a lot of faith in it. <laughs> um, well, and, and, and I think. But is that bad? Because if you don't have faith in the polling, that's actually, I think, good because it doesn't give you that sense of like, oh, well, things are predetermined. Yeah, why am I bothering? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, I think that's. I mean, honestly, like I think the polling hurt Clinton in 2016 because so many people were convinced she was going to win. They didn't feel like they had to do the work. Yeah, and I, that I, it was just such, a, such an automatic that they showed up, voted, and didn't put her name in there because they're like, I don't really like her. She's going to win anyhow. So, I I spoke with a, a cybersecurity expert right after the 2016 election, and this was on a flight from Chicago to London, and she gave me a 90-minute dissertation about how there was circumstantial evidence that the polling organizations that the Clinton campaign used had been hacked yeah, to show bigger margins in Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania. Well, that's the thing. Is like and I think I like, there's whoa, mind I mean, blown. I mean, I we're very dependent on technology to do all, all that get out the vote work, and yeah. so like you know, if all of their systems go down on election day, how do they deal with that? If you know, and and where do they put their resources? It, it matters a whole hell of a lot if yeah. they don't, you know, and you know, I'm and. It was. It's interesting because that's not a storyline that we ever heard the Clinton campaign talk about. But I think to some extent it was that they didn't want to admit that that was a problem. Yeah. If it if it was now, I'm mean, granted it may not have been. I mean, I mean, they spent time in Texas, spent zero time in Michigan. So yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, like something. Yeah, clearly they were working off the wrong information. Now, how they got the wrong information is a little bit up in the air. And it may have just been that their 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 analytical models are just wrong. Which is Could entirely be. possible. I mean, you know, and that's something like, you know, for all that we talk about, you know, uh, machine learning and all that stuff and like how amazing all these technologies are. Like, if you don't do it right, it still gives you the wrong answers. Yeah. If, it, if you build your biases in, it can come up with the wrong answer. And that's, you know, I, I only meant that partially about the polls that we see. Yeah. Because we want to feel better. Yeah. yeah. Right. I don't, wa- I don't want to go to bed in a cold sweat every night. Um, because the polls look like Donald Trump's going to win again. Well, but that's more the thing, importantly, yeah. I, I, you know, it's the polls that people are using to make strategic decisions. There's, yeah, there's. You want the people who are making the decisions to have the most accurate polls. For the for the public, I think probably it's like if we're hoping for a poll, it's one where the good guy is nominally winning by a small margin. Yeah. Want to vote like, for a winner, but you want to need to know that you have to yeah. vote. Um, but, you know, I think it's like it, the way that they collect information for polling is is much harder now because people don't an- I mean, like and there are no one of the things I'm, I'm very curious to see play out is how phone spamming has affected polling and and get out the vote. Oh, yeah. Because oh, like, yeah. I know if I don't have you in my contacts and you call me, I now have the newest iOS or whatever. I have it set to block you. So you can call it a voicemail, and I can see if you left me a voicemail, but I'm not answering the damn phone. No, and you like, won't no. leave a message if you're polling. So Yeah, and you're not going to leave a message if you're polling. You're not going to leave a message if you're trying to do get out the vote for somebody. Right. Well, you might you might do that. Leave a me- yes. Yeah, yeah. For GOTV, you would. Yeah, yeah. But, anyway. um, but it's, you know, it, it's making it that much harder to connect with voters, you know, and I think it's going to make us more. It, I mean, honestly, it pushes back to there's a lot of value in in-person having a lot of volunteers, going out, doing the door-to-door. And even that's that's a grind, too. But, you know, I think it's definitely going to make more connection with Field people work than works, calling man. them randomly on the phone. Field work works. Field work works. 
Yeah, so I think, you know, the other thing that has been going on, even though, you know, some of the other news has been a bit slower, is the campaign carries on. The circus continues. It does. The rings are full. Election Circus 2020. The clowns in full motion. You know, something we're going to have to think about as we get into 2020 is the circus element of this is going to shift pretty drastically. That's true. Because, like, when you've got 25 people all competing, it's clearly a circus. When it's like we finally get down to, like, a handful of people competing, is that really a circus anymore? Mm Mm-hmm. However, eventually one of them will be competing with Trump, and we know that's going to be a circus. Yeah, so exactly. I suppose we can kind of keep the theme. But If we draw this as a curve, the yes. percentage of circusality is sort of, you know, it's going to be <laughs> an inverse bell yes. curve, where it's a lot of circus when you've got 26 people. When it's down to, like, three people, it'll be minimal circusality. And then it's, like, extra circus with a lot of, like, oh yeah, just just crazy, dangerous things, like, I don't know. People being eaten by the tigers is, you know, I mean, like, or I don't Giuliani. know what the circus looks like, but it's not a, it's not a good one. No, it's not one you want to send your kids no. to. No, no, your 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 children will be scarred for life if you send them to this circus. You know, so across 2019, you know, because after 2018, the moment the moment that the 2018 elections ended, maybe it got maybe it got to like New Year's Day 2019. Then it was who's going to run? Who's going to run? What's going to happen? Who knows? You know, and at the beginning of the year, it was, you know, looking for Joe Biden to run. Is he going to run? When's he going to announce? Uh, Stacey Abrams was the other name that was out there. Is Stacey Abrams going to run? The first person to to announce was Buttigieg. Uh, and since then, as we've said, it's been dozens of people who have announced. And the polls have been going on. For everybody since then. Um, and, you know, here we are at the end of 2019. Uh, Joe Biden is still ahead in every national poll and has been since uh, before he announced. <laughs> yeah. Before he announced. He's never sort of dropped below 25 percent in in national polls or in averages of national polls. Um but here we are. You know, he's and still this got is even lead. though he was apparently uh, committing crimes in Ukraine. Wait, oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. No, I mean, who wasn't? <laughs> uh, I am right now. Yeah. So he's clearly got the advantage nationally, but it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out as we go into Iowa, as we go into New Hampshire. And how does he frame that? Uh, you know, I mean, so far they've talked about South Carolina being a firewall. And if you look at South Carolina, the polling is pretty good for him. Um, but let's let's kind of get into this uh, a little bit state by state. And this kind of, you know, wraps up our 2019. Um, so in Iowa, we have Buttigieg in the lead. Uh, but overall, he seems to be trending slightly down. He's currently at 22 percent of the vote. Sanders is in second and trending upwards at 20 percent of the vote. Uh, and these are real clear politics yes, averages. Yes, excuse me. Yes, so. yes. These are averages. So, like any individual poll, it's going to vary. And you know, being that they're averages, you know, it's going to. It gets a little harder when you have less 
samples because because right. the averages are not going to move as quickly as necessarily opinions do. Well, you'll see that more in the South Carolina, Carolina uh, side. And, but. and I would say just for transparency's sake is that I tend to flip between the the RCP uh, averages and what 538 does yeah because they do it a slightly different way in terms of weighting different polls based on sample size and grade and things like that now the results are very similar across those polls you know you see in iowa according to the their averages biden and Buttigieg are essentially i mean biden's at 19.7 Buttigieg is at 18.9 sanders at 18.3 warren at 13.7 so you know it's pretty tight. <laughs> well, and where this gets interesting is like if you look at like when it comes down to actual delegates, what's the difference between twenty two, twenty, and eighteen point eight? It's not. It's it's not much. No. Um, and uh, and then we also have then Klobuchar uh, in distant fifth at six point three. She did get a little bounce from the debate. It looks like, but. It was minimal, so mm-hmm. she's still way far behind everybody else, and there's no real sense that she's kind of gaining any momentum. And I think it's like if she, you know, started to be competitive to the point that she get up to you know fourth place, even it would be like, oh, she's on the rise, etc. But I think she's pretty much done. So no, I don't think we're really I, looking at four people. Uh, New Hampshire, we see similar things. Sanders is in the lead there. Buttigieg behind him. A little further back is Biden, and then uh, just behind Biden is Warren. Um, and then Gabbard is in fifth uh, at 5.7, which, you know, puts her a solid solid 10-ish points uh, behind fourth place. So, and she's still got 5.6% higher than I would have ever imagined she'd get. True. Um, and then we get into uh, South Carolina. And once again, I'm talking RCP averages. Um, Biden is still relatively strong there, showing uh, the latest poll from there. So the averages I'm not using here because the polling has been so scarce, irregular yeah. um, that it's hard to do that. But the most recent one, which did go it's somewhat into December, had Biden at 27. But that's down eight relative to what the average was. So it clearly trending the wrong way. Then you got Warren and Sanders and basically a tie at 19 and 20, and then Buttigieg at 9. And um, what's interesting in the South Carolina, if you look at the 538 polls, again, different polls, but yeah, they have Biden at 38.4%. Yeah. And Sanders next at 13.9. Yeah. Um, and, you know, looking at that against a calendar of things, because that's the other thing to think of, we've got 34 days to Iowa, you know, 40 days to 41 days to New Hampshire, you know, then an additional, you know, 11 days to Nevada, additional week to South Carolina. All four of those states are certainly the first three states are very much in play. But none of them for, well, I don't know about Nevada. I know the like Iowa, New Hampshire are not for Biden at this point. Uh, Biden's ahead in Nevada. But he's ahead in Nevada. Yeah. Um, with with uh, Bernie being second there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I mean, and that takes us through the end of February, and that gets us close to Super Tuesday, which is going to be March the 9th. Yeah. 10th. March the 10th. Yes. Yes. Um, I mean, 
there's not a lot of time for candidates to make their case between now and when we're going to have a, a great number of those those decided. Yeah. Um, and I guess if we kind of go all the way out to, you know, March, let's see, hold on, sorry, March 3rd. I'm sorry, March 3rd is Super Tuesday. Two, three, four, five. I mean, that's chock full. March 10th. Uh, so March 3rd is... Seventeen primaries. March eighth has Puerto Rico. March tenth has an additional six. So that's you know twenty-four. Yeah. I mean, I think ultimately though, it's like I don't really trust any of this until we've had Iowa and New Hampshire, and then it's like okay, now we'll have a better sense of like yeah. based on those wins, what's the trends going on? I mean, like if you look at Obama when he ran, he wasn't doing well in South Carolina. Uh, and then when he won Iowa, that shifted. Yeah, and we've talked about that before. Yeah, about you know that the African American vote tends to want to vote for a winner. Go back, see comments about polls earlier. Yeah, um, but but seriously, by the time we're done with the primaries here, we will have done Arizona, Florida, Texas, uh, California. I mean. Minnesota. So we've got we've got swing states. Uh, we've got sort of up and coming Democratic states, and we have big delegate states. You know, when's Mich- Michigan's the tenth as well? So yeah. we'll have all of the swing states. We'll have our biggest delegate states, save New York, which is in April. Um, so the the snowball is going to be rolling very quickly once we get into February. Yeah. And my guess is. After the first few races, we're going to see, like right now, what what we basically seem to have is a progressive versus centrist, for lack of a better way to put it, uh, breakdown. We've got Sanders and Warren supporters and Buttigieg and Biden supporters. Yeah. Um, and I think that as you see Sanders gain or Buttigieg gain relative to their the person who's sort of in their lane, I think that they're going to see they're going to see voters move over to them. Uh, now, ultimately, this all comes down to the convention, though. So, like, if Warren wins delegates and she doesn't win overall, she can still have some influence. Yeah. Well, and I think so. We have this this thing here about a brokered convention. So, what does that mean? And and I would guess maybe the prediction I should have made for 2020 is that the words "brokered convention" would be used. Approximately a bajillion times. Oh yeah, yeah. Between it'll be trending on Google and Twitter, and yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, and we probably will at some point have an episode dedicated to the mechanics of the convention. But you know, right now we've we're got a long f- way from that even yeah. really being a consideration. So yeah, but we've got four people. You know, we've got those two sort of wings and. You know, I've got to say, the thing that bothers me about the the way that this is being depicted, especially in the media, including by us, I guess, to a certain extent, is that, <laughs> you know, yeah, jerks. Biden would be our most progressive candidate or most progressive president ever if he were elected. Maybe not FDR. FDR is pretty progressive. But or JFK. 
Uh, let's, okay, recognize that Nixon started the EPA. Like, trying to do a historical comparison is a little bit That's weird. That's fair. So, but, <laughs> but, but for people would he be nominally, is, are his policy positions nominally more progressive than Obama's were? Yes. Yes. Does that matter? No. It may not. I, I, I would argue that it really represents that the party he's running to be in charge of is fundamentally shifting to be more progressive, and that is why that is... He's just like, well, this is what people want, so I'm going to tell them what they want. And I'm okay with that. Yes. Well, uh, as long as he does what they want. Well, which I mean, we'll but get to. The, his ability to... whatever the Whoever the president is, you know, they're going... They're going to have a certain amount of leeway through executive action. Everything else is going to be through the legislature. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a Bernie Sanders or a Tulsi Gabbard in in the White House in terms of what things they're going to be able to get pushed through the legislature. Mm, not, I, I would argue that. I would argue that. Um, I mean, they they obviously are not the people who craft the legislation because that's just not how any of this works. But do they have influence on it? Yes. Can they use their executive power to pressure that? Yes. Um, and there's a lot of tools that the executive has that they almost never use that a, a Biden or a Bernie could use to try to steer that conversation in a direction. Yeah, maybe. So who knows? I, I think it does matter as far as legislation goes. Um, in, in my mind, it's more about the appointments to the cabinet and the policies, as we've seen in the last right, four which years. Then we're talking about the Senate matters because if we don't have control of the Senate, none of, you're, appointing anybody is going to be nearly impossible. Well, you don't need to appoint anybody. You don't need to confirm anybody by the the Trump doctrine. Right. Your you best, just need to pick whichever person is, you, is. Your best strategy is to have interim everything. Yes. Oh, yeah. So it seems. So, um, but it's a, it, it, it is a. I think it is a debate that doesn't help anybody because it loses some of the nuance. Um, yeah. And then you have somebody like Bloomberg who's coming in who's not even going to be on the ballot in the first four states. Yeah. You know, I, I think that there is, a, there is a real possibility that his goal is to just pull things to the center. Well, he, he is- wants to dump a bunch of cash in states he thinks he can win. So that he has enough delegates to make a difference in a broker I don't convention. Think he, I don't think he cares about the Democratic election. I think what he's doing is kicking the tires on a third-party run. Is He's getting his name out there, establishing himself, so that if Sanders wins the nomination, he has some framework in place to say, okay, I'm running as a third party. Or if Warren, I think it's much more for Sanders than it is for Warren, but really it comes down to how does the polling play out? And if he looks at the polling, he's like, oh, if I run this third party, I can win. He'll do it. Um, no third party can win. I think that's a terrible idea. I think it, yeah. that creates a tremendous danger that Trump ends up being president when I think a, a straight up Democrat versus Republican, I don't think. Yeah. I don't think Trump will win. If it's just a straight-up Democrat versus Republican. I I, I mean, there's lots of things that can go wrong, but... Sure. As they did in uh, 2016. But But, but you could imagine Bloomberg is like, look, man, I got all this cash. Um, I could spend all this cash to be a third-party candidate. I have a 2% chance of winning. But but the next most likely result is that I take enough votes away from the Democratic candidate that Trump wins, and I keep more of my money. Well, yeah, basically what it comes down to is 
if he can appeal to centrist Democrats and the the basically the never Trumper Republican types who are like, I want somebody who's a business person in charge of the country, but didn't like the way Trump was doing things. I think though it's like. It's it takes just enough votes from the wrong places to be dangerous yeah, rather yeah. than than you know. Uh, but we'll see. I think that I think a Bloomberg is self aware enough to recognize that he's that if he's in a situation where he would just assure Trump wins, I don't think he's necessarily down for that. But you know, hey, I was wrong about Bill Barr, so who knows? Yeah, uh, there it is. There <laughs> it is. Can we talk about beer? Yes, yes, we can. This has been an exceptionally long discussion and yes. a good one. Yes. But beer is also good. Yes. So, we're at Alarmist today. No, we're not. No, we are not. We are at Empirical today. Yes, we are. <laughs> I've just been alarmed the entire time we've talked about the prospects for 2020. Yes. <laughs> you were alarmed. Yes. So, we're at Empirical. Yeah, I, yeah well, I could measure my alarm. Uh, yes. It is, I, we've been here before. They have changed their decor somewhat since the last time we were here. Yeah. Um, they have added several pieces of Star Wars uh, kitchen memorabilia, which I appreciate very much. I've got a, a visible BB-8 Millennium Falcon old edition, X-Wing old edition, TIE Fighter old edition again. Um, uh, some nice Chewbacca action. Um, well, it's like not that, so that Millennium Falcon. It's like older, but it's not like when I was a kid old. No, 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 no. Not like that. If, I mean, if that were up on the ceiling, I would steal it and sell yes, it on eBay right. for $1,000. Yeah, so really, it's purely a theft deterrence. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, but yeah, no, it's good. And I see Spider-Man. And but I just, I love that all of the beers have some sort of scientific context or, or name. I, I don't know how they've decided on all these, but I still love them. They have the yeah. periodic table of empirical brewery, which I also appreciate and the beers here are just damn good they are yeah so i'm having the uh penumbra sour um i have had two versions of it while we're recording one is a one is aged in rum barrels one is aged in scotch barrels they're not it's not a real it's like a six percent alcohol it's not like a super heavy duty one a lot of barrel aged ones are like just knock you over the head strong not that i'm against that most of the time but um <laughs> but it's very good uh, do you know what a penumbra is uh, yes. <laughs> what is a penumbra? <laughs> a I penum know what a penumbra is, but I'm like, I'm like, uh, do you? It was a trick sure question. Yeah. Right. So, you know, in an eclipse, it's, yes. it's sort of the outer edge of a shadow. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, again, it's cool. It's not a thing. I'm going to edit knows, this so it sounds like I'm a genius. No, I knew this all along. It right. Is of penumbra. course it, it is. It is a shadow. Yeah, of course it is. It is the shadow of an eclipse. Penumbra. Penumbra. Nice. <laughs> you seem to have That's been the beauty enjoying of being the editor is I can always make myself oh, yeah. sound good. And and let me say for everybody listening who's gotten this far today, I, Steve has done approximately one hundred percent of the editing, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate the work he does. How amazing the work is because whenever I listen to things later, I think I sound less intoxicated than I actually was. <laughs> and I don't know how he does that. I don't know what things although, he can adjust. Although I feel like last week's episode. No, there was no covering that. But <laughs> but still, I, yes, I very yes. much appreciate the work that you do. Yeah. Uh, it, it makes it all it makes it all come together. I, so I got here a little early today 
which means you're probably going to have to do more editing. I had this uh, endothermic porter that they have, and they've got a couple that are aged different ways. And this one was aged in a Woodford Reserve barrel. Um, it's a little heavier than I usually go. I got a small version of it. Yeah. But it was like the smoothest 10% beer I've had. And it yeah. took me like 20 minutes to drink. Yeah, I, I think I might pick it. up some of that for, I'm going to a friend's house for New Year's tonight. So I think I might uh, pick that up I, as it, a gift. It was, it was excellent. And then I, I switched over to something a little more on brand, on brand for me, the covalence, which really when we talk about covalence, we're talking about bonds between atoms to form compounds and, and whatnot. So it has a lot to do with the Having charge of organic, electrons. Organic chemistry flashbacks yep. from high school. Uh, I'm going to draw some hexagons on the, the wall over here, but uh, the covalence is a juicy pale ale. Again, on brand. Super good. Super good. I, I mean, look, some of their taps are lightsabers. I'm going to have trouble saying anything but the best things about them. That's true. So, so come on by. They're yeah. on f- it's like Foster and Ravenswood. Yep. Um, they've got a great sign on Foster. There's a door that looks like it's the door to the brewery, but it's not. It's got one arrow pointing to the east that says, good day, beer. And one pointing to the west that says, bad day, no beer. So yes. you've got to actually enter from where Ravenswood. Go where the beer is. Go you'll have a good where day. the bud- beer is. All right. So thanks yeah. for joining us this year. Absolutely. Yes. It's, it's been, been a, good, a year. good year for uh, us. Yeah. 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 No, we've uh, been recording since March 11th. So we got three quarters of the year pretty much. So uh, doing pretty good. So yeah. we'll be back. We will see you in 2020. Well, probably not literally, but you never know. Might see your comments on iTunes, though. So that'd be nice. You might. We might. All but right. You might see us at a brewery. If That's you do, true. say hi to us. Absolutely. We've got a new table tent. Yes, so we now now you can see us. We've got QR codes on it and everything. It's fancy. So wave of the future, the QR code. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> Take care, everybody. Have a safe New Year. Bye bye.